All right. Would you please reading for the would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Reading from Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the, re- the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power after making purification for sins he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent excellent than theirs thank you so much this is the word of god you may be seated the biggest celebration in this country by far is christmas I'm sure retail stores, if they had their dreaders, they would start Christmas all the way back in July, maybe June. Maybe it would be all year round. Not because of the Christmas spirit or, you know, focusing on it's better to give than to receive, but so that their numbers could go up and up and up. That's why Black Friday became Black Week and probably Black Two Weeks. Um, A lot gets said about, not a lot gets said about the day after Christmas. It'd be a great time to talk about the wise men who were still years away from um, seeing the newborn Christ. At many houses today, um, the day after Christmas will be the day to try to get the house back in order after the whirlwind that was the gift, opening up the gifts. Some of you, I'm, I'm the person like during the time we start opening gifts, I'm like gathering the wrapping paper, throwing it in the trash because I don't want to deal with it afterwards. Um, but I mean, some of you maybe had those big, like you had 20 family members over, so you have to figure out what you're doing today to clean things up. Um, at many houses, it's the day after Christmas, the day to pick things up and to clean things up after what Christmas has wrought in our homes. Uh, every year, so many of us promise that the lessons of Christmas and the meaning of Christmas will be with us all year round. Churches, even non-churches, even secular organizations, that's the thing that they want to try to hammer during the Christmas season, is that it's not just one day of year, it's all year round that we should remember the lessons of Christmas. It almost seems as soon as we get to the day after Christmas, we've lost a lot of those things. In fact, once again, you probably can go on uh, on uh, Twitter, do like hashtag ungrateful kids, and you will find all kinds of videos that are pretty funny, like kids just throwing a fit because they didn't get the right color iPhone or something to that effect. Um, in Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol, it's one of my favorite. Um, it's one of my favorite movies. In fact, the one I like the best is not the Jim Carrey one, which is an abomination. It's the one that was like a made-for-TV movie in like 1985, 86. I have no idea who any of the actors were. It's like my favorite one. I also, also like the actual story of Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol. And there's this line there that I, I just really, I really love. It's after, it's after Scrooge wakes up and during the night, you know, he's visited by three ghosts, ghosts of Christmas past, ghosts of Christmas present, ghosts of Christmas yet to come. And a ghost of Christmas yet to come, ghost of Christmas yet to come shows Scrooge the wages of his sins in life. And he sees his death, but everybody dies. No, he saw a pitiful, wasted life that nobody cares about. And he only brought misery in this world. So when he wakes up, he believes he is clutching on to the ghosts of Christmas yet to come's robe. And he finds out it's his drape and it's Christmas morning. It hasn't happened. 
his sins won't be counted against him. He has a second chance. And there's such joy he has in his life. And the, the version I like, he's like jumping up and down on his bed. And he's like, I, I have another chance. I have another chance. And he has such joy about Christmas Day. And I'm thinking, man, what joy should we have as Christians? Because we have so much more than this. We're not just given a second chance. Everybody's given a second chance as long as there's breath in your lungs. No, our sins have been forgiven. He has cast them as far as the east is from the west. This uh, two days ago, I forget like how quick everything is. Two days ago was Christmas Eve. And um, I had a different sermon for Christmas Eve. I don't know if you guys knew this. I, I, I said it very briefly as I came up to the lectern. Is that um, the Holy Spirit during, um, during the time of worship was like, okay, I want you to preach on this. I'm like, I have nothing prepared. So I'm just like letting the Holy Spirit just speak through me at that point. And um, so I had mentioned, I, kinda, I gave my personal testimony of my first real Christmas. It wasn't a December 25th, but it was the day that Christ was birthed in me. It was the day that I, that I, that I died and Christ made me alive again. And I, I don't know if I mentioned this, but the next day it was like, I, I described it like never seeing color again because I couldn't describe, I still can't, what it was like. C.S. Lewis called, called our former life without Christ the Shadowlands. It's a great poetic way. I don't know how else to describe it. Like I said before, it was like I didn't see color again. The joy I had made Scrooge's joy look like nothing. It was like I'd never lived before that moment, and now I was alive in Christ. That, that scene in the Christmas, in Christmas Carol, it's a reflection of the joy that we should have as believers of every day, not just Christmas Day, that our sins are not counted against us. We have so much more than that, because not only are sins not counted against us, they have been removed. The penalty has been satisfied. And more than that, we are adopted into God's family. I saw this video um, yesterday and today of this. Uh, I, maybe I should have queued it up. I didn't. So it's not the video I'm talking about. So don't get ready yet, Emma. Um, and it's this, uh, this boy, he's at a, he's at Christmas, and you think it's his family, and, and the, the backstory is, um, it's not. He's a foster child. And like the, the whole family's there, and he's opened up the gifts. All of them are like Nike stuff. And he opens up this gift, and it's just a picture in there, and they're like, read, we want you to read the card out loud. And he starts reading, and he says, this is a picture of our family, and next year we want you to be in this. Would you be our brother, our son, our grandson? Oh, man. Stupid video. I'm not going to cry. Anyway, um, because that's what Christ did for us in our true Christmas day. Amen. Would you be my son? Christ asked, would you be my little brother, my little sister, my daughter? So when Scrooge exclaims, I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all year. I will live in the past, present, and future. The spirits of all three will strive within me. I will not shut out the lessons they teach. That is like, that is for us, the true Christmas of Christ being born in us, the true second life, the being reborn in Christ. C.H. Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, said it much better than Scrooge did. He says, it is a merry Christmas all year round to a soul that has an unstaggering faith in the promises of the blessed God. Let me read that again, because Spurgeon lived in a different time, but let me read it very slowly here. It's a Merry Christmas all year round to a soul that has an unstaggering faith 
in the promises of the blessed God. If you want to keep Christmas all the year round in your heart, have an unstaggering faith in the promises of the blessed God. A friend of mine one time asked me, have you ever doubted, you know, since I became a believer, have you ever doubted Christ? Have you ever doubted? And without hesitation, I said, no. Because it's not a set of beliefs to believe or doubt. It's a person. It is a family that I belong to. Which Jesus do you like? When we talk about Christmas, a lot of people like baby Jesus. Now this is the video I wanted to queue up. Thank you. I wonder what it would be like to be born in a manger. Yeah. wonder what ever happened to baby Jesus. He, he grew up. What? Wait. So you're saying that the baby Jesus Christmas story is the same as the adult walk on water Jesus? Yeah. Thanks, honey. Wow, I just never really put the two concepts together. <laughs> Wonder what happened to that guy, huh? <laughs> he, he went to the cross. That's the same guy? Yeah. So what you're saying is baby Jesus is the same as cross Jesus? Yeah. I mean, there's some time in there, right? I mean, he, he grew up, he taught people, he lived a perfect life. He died on the cross and came back to life, and, you know, now he lives in our hearts. That's the same guy? The Jesus that lives in our hearts? <sighs> okay, I was really, oh, wow. Okay, I never really put all those guys together, you know? Only one guy. I tell you this. There's an idea. Maybe we stop just making Christmas all just this once a year isolated thing, but we make it an ongoing story about the salvation in our hearts and lives. Up top. That's the idea. everybody believes in Jesus in some way, shape, or form, but most people want to pick and choose. Many people, they just want the baby Jesus. They want the picture of innocence as kind of a symbol of innocence of the human spirit or of children. Some people, they just like the good teacher. In fact, C.S. Lewis said, you don't get to do that because you can't say he's a good teacher because he said he was God. He called it the trilemma. He's either a liar, lunatic, or Lord. He's either a liar just saying things to um, increase his brand, so to speak, or he would be a lunatic, and he says somebody who believes that they're a poached egg um, to say the things he said, or he is Lord, and he is true in everything he says and does. Some people just want him to be a good teacher, just somebody you can put the sayings on a mug. Other people, they like the Jesus who went into the temple and caused a ruckus kicked over tail, tables, had a, had a whip and started whipping people. And they're like, yeah, that's the Jesus I like. So no matter what I do, when I'm angry enough, I can say that's what Jesus would do too. But Jesus doesn't let us pick and choose. He's either all of him or none of him. 
People had all kinds of ideas about Jesus in Jesus' day. In fact, he asked his disciple, what do people say I am? And they're like, oh, they think you're Elijah reborn. They think you're a prophet. They think you're all these. He said, who do you say I am? And Peter, under the inspiration of God the Father, says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that's when Jesus said, your name is Peter. And upon this rock, Peter means little rock. And he says, on this rock, I will build my church. It is Peter's confession of Jesus Christ as the Christ. Jesus as the Christ, the son of the living God. You either take all of him or you have none of him. If you have a different Jesus, you have a different gospel. And Galatians 1, 6 and 7 says, anybody who preaches you a gospel other than the one we preached, let him be an anathema, eternally condemned. We believe in all of Jesus. We believe when Jesus came to this earth, he was fully God and fully man. It's a theological term called the hypostatic union. Now, it doesn't matter if you remember that term or not. I won't have a test for you later. But it's important because this is probably one of the areas that people will fall into what is called a Christological heresy, meaning a heresy concerning Jesus Christ, about Jesus Christ on this earth. Is that some people will teach, very mistakenly teach, that Jesus was not fully God on this earth. He was. Becoming fully human did not mean that he became less God. He had two natures. It's a great mystery. Because there's nothing else. Nothing has more than 100% of anything, right? Because that's what 100% means. But he is fully God and fully man. And we have to take Christ as he says he is. He is not just a babe in a manger. He was a babe in a manger. He was a man. He was crucified, dead, buried, resurrected on the third day, and he is also king forever. The Reverend S.M. Lockridge has a sermon titled, That's My King. There's a video on this, but I'm a one video a week pastor, so I will just read to you some of his, of his sermon here. So much of this, all of this is from the scripture. In fact, he almost gets every, every statement of Christ from the Old Testament and New Testament in here. But I'm just going to read to you a portion. The Bible says he's the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. Now that's my king. David says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. No means of measure can define his limitless love. No far-seen telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his shoreless supply. No barrier can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally grateful. He's empirically powerful. He's impartially merciful. That's my king. I wonder, do you know him? He's better than... He is better than, in the book of Hebrews, I would say one great way to summarize the book of of Hebrews, to paraphrase it, it's simply this, is Jesus is better than. We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Many of the books you see in the New Testament, somebody says, hey, it's me, now I'm going to write the rest. Paul, apostle of Jesus Christ, not by man, nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, to all the brothers with me, to the churches in Galatia. Um, That's Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. Anyway, we have somebody saying, hey, this is me. 
In Hebrews, we have, we have no writer who wants to describe himself. Some people think it's Paul the Apostle because of the way it's set up. Other people think maybe it's Apollos because of his deep understanding of the Hebrew Scriptures. Some think it's Barnabas. In fact, the earliest, um, the earliest uh, mention we have in church history, it's Barnabas. Um, but it doesn't really matter. What matters is really who it's written to. That's why it's called Hebrews. The Bible, it was written not in English. It was written in um, Hebrew and Koine Greek with a tiny smattering of Aramaic in there in the book of Daniel. So we have Hebrew and Greek, but in the Greek New Testament, we have a book called Hebrews. Following so far? Good. Um, That is because we have Hebrew believers in a Gentile world who are believing in Jesus Christ. Every Christian is undergoing through persecution, but Jewish believers have even a harder time in that when they came to Christ, it wasn't just coming to Christ, but they were leaving so much of their own family behind as well. It's even today, it's a big issue for somebody in a Jewish household to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Because it's not just about a belief system, it's about your family, the way you grew up. The writer of Hebrews is writing to these people to encourage them, to remind them, you are not less Jewish by worshiping Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all of our Jewish heritage. This is the unity that's in the church. It's not like God had plan A, the Jewish people, plan B, the church, now plan B, plan C, the end times, but it's all of one. We are one people, for we are children of Abraham through faith in Christ Jesus. That's in the book of Galatians. And they 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 are brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ through faith in Jesus Christ. The book of Hebrews, I would simply put, is Jesus is better than. He's not separate, but he is better than. He is the fulfillment of everything we read about in the Old Testament. And keeping Christ mass all year round, remember that Jesus is better than. In our, in our youth ministry years ago, me and Becca, I was teaching through the book of Hebrews, and I did this series on Jesus is better than. And that's really in the book of Hebrews, Jesus is better than the angels, Jesus is better than the prophets, Jesus is better than Moses, than Abraham, the patriarchs. It is only by faith in Christ Jesus that they were anything at all. So I did a series on Jesus is better than, because in youth ministry, a lot of times we'd have curriculum and be like, Jesus is better than drugs. Well, I was like, but if you understand how bad drugs are in your life, you know it's better than drugs, mowing your lawn, anything else. Drugs are pretty bad. So, I mean, it's like, that doesn't really say much to say Jesus is better than drugs. I was like, why don't I take things that are actually good in the culture, movies, music, video games, books, whatever. If it's something that's good, laudable, um, let me talk about that. Then I want to tell you about how Jesus is so superior to this that that is small and little amount of enjoyment, but he's the joy. If you like skiing, you are about to have a great time because I'm sure snow is coming in on Tuesday. We'll see what happens. And if you're a person who likes the winter weather, you like all this stuff, you like Christmas, I warn you, not, not just Christmas, but the celebrating of Christmas, the winter time, I warn you not to make that your joy because it's too small of a joy. It won't fill you up. It won't be enough. Don't make, that your, don't make that your joy. Just enjoy it. When, when spring comes and we're finally out of our houses again, all the spring activities, I warn you, don't make that your joy. Just enjoy it. It's too small of a joy. It won't be enough. Summer will come. Believe me on this. 
It's going to be hard in a couple months, but summer will come again. And the sun will be out. It'll be nice and warm. There'll be times at the beach, but don't make going to the beach your joy. It's not good enough. Just enjoy it. Look at things in your life to enjoy, but set your heart, set your joy on Christ alone, for he is the only one who can fill us. He's the only one who truly is King and Lord of our lives. And to not treat him as such is to live outside of reality, to go insane, spiritually insane. Joy is not a destination. Let me say that again. Joy is not a destination. If you think one day, if once this happens, then I will be happy. Once I have that vacation, once I have that move, once I'm out of school, once I have this job, then I truly will have happiness. This is the saddest thing with young people who want to get married. I'll tell them, Don't look at that other person to complete you. They were never designed to complete you. And you'll have such troubles in your marriage because you'll look at them and they won't complete you. And then you'll get angry with them because they don't fill a need in your life they were never meant to fill that Christ alone can fulfill. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. In beginning this series... I knew that this would be the last sermon I would have here in Hebrews chapter 1. What I didn't realize is that within these first three verses is a summary of all the, all the, all the sermons that I've given to you up from right before December up until this point. For in the first three verses do we see Jesus Christ as the Word, the Light, and the Life, the Dragon Slayer, and that He is born to be King. As we go through this, once again, so, I've, so my, my points of my sermon today are the word, the light, and the life, the sin slayer, and the king. Let's start with verse 1 here. Long ago at many times, and in, uh, many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. This is just an explanation. He starts, off his, uh, he starts off his letter to these Hebrew believers by reminding them of their shared heritage as Jews. In the past, our fathers, not your fathers, but our fathers were spoken to by God through the prophets at many times in various ways. You look at the Old Testament there. I mean, there is no shortage of different ways that God would speak to people through a burning bush. We would have through a pillar, uh, for a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day, through dreams, through visions, through different things, through fleeces. I remember one time uh, I was listening to this pastor and he said he was really glad that the whole Balaam's donkey thing didn't happen today. Or in like every Assembly God church, we'd have a donkey because we needed to hear from the Lord. (laughs) We know that there's this great wealth of ways that God has spoken to his people throughout all of the ages. And we get to verse two and it says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Now, this is not a proof text to try to say that God doesn't speak today. What it does, though, it cuts to the very heart of what prophecy is, of what the speaking of God throughout the Old Testament was about, and what the New Testament we live in, and what we look forward to in the age to come. He has spoken in these last days by his Son, whom he appointed the heir over all things. In this one verse, when it comes to the word of God, the author speaks of the variety of the ancient ways that God used to speak. We can open up the Old Testament and see that a burning bush, the um and the thurum, the visions, the dreams, a whisper. I could go on and on and on. But in these last days, he has spoken through his son, whom he has given authority. 
In Revelation 19.10, I think explains this verse very, very well. What does it mean in these last days he's spoken through his son? Don't we still have the gift of prophecy? Do we not still have speaking in tongues and the interpretation of tongues? Even in, even if you were um, what is called a cessationist, you have to recognize that it is during this time you still have prophecies, you still have speaking in tongues and the charismatic gifts. So how does this all jive together? I think it gets to the very heart of what prophecy is. In Revelation 19.10, John the Revelator, John the Beloved of Christ, he is having this incredible vision by God in the book of Revelation. It is his revelation. And he has this moment, and he records it, where he bow down, bows down and tries to worship an angel. That's a weird thing, right? That's just something to guard our hearts against, right? That, that um, idolatry is not just for, like, the lowest common denominator. John was somebody who was known as the disciple whom Christ loved in his own, in his own, in his own book, you know, he put that in there. I wonder the other disciples, they read that. It's like, Jesus loved me too. <laughs> and uh, so he, he bowed down. He tries to worship this angel. And the angel stops him. And he tells him, he tells him to worship God alone. He tells him that, um, that his brothers are the other prophets. And he says this line right here. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Let me say that again. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The centrality of Jesus Christ cannot be overstated. It cannot be taken too far. Because every word that God spoke in the Old Testament, it was veiled, but it was about Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, every word that we read that proceeds from the mouth of God is about Jesus Christ. In the book of Revelation, what do we see unto the throne and unto the Lamb? How is the dragon defeated by the blood of the Lamb? Every time Christ does something, praise erupts in the heavenlies. The spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus Christ. There are so many prophecies that come out all the, all the time, right? So many, I mean, I've, I've heard, I, I can't tell you how many around 2020, um, and, 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 so many, and so many beyond that as well. And um, my, my first thing is like, well, is there anything in Scripture against it? Okay, if I can find something, then I just disregard it. If there's nothing in Scripture against what they are saying, then my second thing is if it's a prophecy of something that, that was going to happen, does it happen? If it, does, if it doesn't happen, God's not a liar, this person is and I don't listen to him ever again. Um, if all of this is good, there's still another issue, because in Deuteronomy, it says somebody can come into the camp, they can make a prophecy, the prophecy can come true, but they tell you not to worship Yahweh, throw him out of the camp. So my final thing is, does this make me love Jesus more? Does this make me love Jesus more, or is it just filled, fills me with fear? Because the spirit of prophecy is Jesus Christ. It is so out of place for a New Testament prophecy not to be centered on Jesus Christ. Old Testament, that makes sense because they didn't know. It was types and shadows. It was stuff that makes sense in the New Testament. But a New Testament prophecy is centered around Jesus Christ because in these last days, he has spoken through his son. Some people try to paint themselves as almost as an Old Testament prophet. That's weird. That's, not, that's so out of place. So many people, they will long for things like glory clouds, Old Testament signs and wonders when we have the fulfillment of Christ today. For the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus Christ. In these last days, he has spoken to his son. You know why? Because in the beginning, 
in arche, in arche in ohologos. In the beginning was the word. That is Koine Greek for in the beginning was the word. Logos is the Greek word for word. But it's more than that. It's where, we get the new, it's where we get the English word logic. It's the very mind of God. God is so tied to what he says. He's such a, he is such a God of his word that you can take that, that he, very, he so much identifies with this. That's why it says in, in Archein Ohologos, in the beginning was the word. And that's what we have here. He, in, in verse 2, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir over all things, through whom he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe, how? By the word of his power. In talking about how God orders and how God is sovereign, two names get brought up quite a lot. John Calvin and Jacob Arminius. And it's the two camps of Calvinism versus Arminian. And um, in all this, um, you have the different questions. And I was talking with somebody about this. And they're like, do you think God micromanaged the world? I think, I said, I think that God upholds the world, the universe by the word of his power. I don't know where that fits in on the charts. And I don't care. I was like, I think, I think atoms, I think the protons and the electrons in an atom and stay exactly as far away from the nucleus because of the word of God. That, that's, that's, what, that's what I see in the scripture. He upholds everything by the word of his power because he is the logos of God. In him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. That is in John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, it says that through him, speaking of Jesus, all things were made. And we have a sister verse in verse 2 of Hebrews chapter 1, through whom he also created the world. Jesus was not given life at Christmas, but in him was life. He simply took flesh at Christmas. And in him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. The light, the life that was in Christ was the light of all mankind. In Isaiah 8 and 9, paints this terrible, horrific, wonderful, beautiful picture. And it talks about those who would come to you and tell you to start listening to other people from other spiritual ideas. And it says, if anybody will not, will not speak according to the testimony of the word that God had given the prophet Isaiah, they are living in darkness and they will put you into darkness too. So it gives us this kind of narrative that they, they wander the land distressed and hungry and out of their spiritual malnourishment, they look to earth and all they see is gloom and they curse their God and king. That's what believing in a lie does. Even if it's a sweet sounding lie. Better is a harsh truth than a sweet lie. But unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders. For those living in the land of deep, deep darkness, a light has dawned. That's why verse 2 says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus wasn't a little like God. He was God. He is God and will always be God. No one has seen God and no one can. When Moses when Moses asked to see his face, God said, no, you won't live. So what I'll do, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock. I will pass by. My back will pass towards you. That experience right there, it was so monumentally life-changing that when Moses came down, his face literally glowed to the point where they had to put a veil over his face. Now today, if, you're, if you'd say, we need to put a veil over your face, Pastor, I'm not fooled. I know what you mean by that. Um, <laughs> 
Um, they did it because they couldn't look at his face. It was like looking at, it was like looking at the sun. You know, the New Testament says the glory inside of us dwarfs that because it's enduring. He is the light of all mankind. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. You know, the miracle of the incarnation, the miracle of Christmas that we kind of skip over, we put into our songs. But how amazing is that? The God of all the universe, greater than all of the universe, beyond the, all of, uh, beyond the universe, has now come to dwell amongst us in the form of a babe in a manger. We are also told he is a sin slayer. He makes pur- purification for sin. In Isaiah 8 and 9, many other parts in the scripture, it describes sin as darkness. For surely as darkness is the absence of light, sin is the absence of righteousness. What does Christ do to sin? He makes purification for it. In Revelation, it describes the crucifixion of Jesus as as overcoming the dragon. It is the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony that the dragon has been overcome. The dragon, the great serpent, the devil, and Satan... Hebrews describes it as making purification for sin. The light of Christ disinfects evil. Isaiah 9-2, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Since we are just a day off of Christmas, I figure I can continually mention Christmas things as illustrations. I go back to that poem from Henry Wattsford Longfellow, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. And the very last stanza, Then pled the bells more loud and deep, God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. He makes purification for sin. He makes purification for my sin, for your sin. Those who believe that they are going to put one over on God, they will find out something very, very different. For he has offered us purification sin in this life, but judgment if we do not accept it for the next. It is the blood of the lamb. How does the son make purification for sins? The blood of the lamb. Satan is still overcome by the blood of the lamb. Finally, he is king. He sits down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Um, Here, once again, since we are still in Christmas, I'm going to use another Christmas illustration, and it's one you may not have heard about. It's about the actual person who inspired the, you know, Santa Claus, Father Christmas. The English call Santa Claus Father Christmas, which is funny to me. Um, he, was a, he was a bishop in what is now Turkey. In 325, we know this because he was part of the Council of Nicaea in, uh, in Rome um, that was held by Emperor Constantine. In 325 AD, the year of our Lord, more than 300 bishops came from all around the Christian world to debate the nature of the Trinity. It was a hot topic at that time. There was a man from Egypt, another bishop named Arius. And Arius, he's kind of, he was a smart guy because he made a song about how Jesus wasn't equal with God the Father. And that's why we need to be very careful about the songs we sing, especially in church. So much falsehood and mistaken beliefs get folded in to songs. And it, it lets our guard down, right? Movies do that today, too. Me and, me and my wife, uh, when we were dating, we were watching this movie. I can't remember the name. And I remember um, at this one part, like uh, this guy who's like engaged to some other gal is like making eyes at, some, at this other gal. And Becca's like, that's wrong. And I'm like, 
You're right. They tried to make it seem like it was a good thing. So anyway, he had this song. He's debating very, very, very fervently that he did not believe that Jesus, God the Son, and God the Father were co-equal. So it's, it's, a, it's heresy. It's, a call, it's now called an Arian heresy. Um, and he's singing his song. People are grinding their teeth. And um, uh, St. Nicholas um, of, of, uh, of Maya, he came straight up to him and smacked him across the face. It kind of kind of adds to there's a twinkle in his eye. Um, now, I, I do need to be honest that there is some people who are very skeptical of this story, and it's not the Bible, so I don't care. Um, but it's possibly, it possibly happened. He was then put in jail because you are not allowed to strike somebody in the presence of, um, of uh, Caesar um, Constantine. And um, so he's put in jail, and Constantine allowed the bishops of that time to decide what his fate would be. He was stripped of his vestments, but he got them back later. It's a big, long story. But um, anyway, the topic at hand was Jesus being equal with God, truly being Lord. In the Old Testament, the term Lord is used in, it's two different words. If it's capital L, lowercase o-r-d, it's Adonai, which is the more generic term for God. If it's L, it's Elohim, which is the most generic term for God. Or you have capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, and that is Yahweh. That was God's name he gave to his people as a covenant. Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is Yahweh. He is Lord. He sits down at the right hand of the majesty on high. In the Revelation, we have unto, um, to the Lamb who is slain and, um, unto, the, uh, and unto the Lamb, um, unto the throne and unto the Lamb. Jesus is not, and, um, Jesus, Jesus, not anyone else's Lord. In the time this book was written, in the book of Hebrews, and throughout the first century, Rome was starting to tighten their grip on their different providence, the different providence of, of Rome. And one thing that they would do, especially to Christians, is they would come up to them, and they would make them take a pinch of incense, put it into the fire, and declare Caesar is Lord. John, the one who wrote Revelation, his disciple, a guy named Polycarp, would not do this, and he was burned at the stake. Well, they tried to burn him, and they couldn't, so they stabbed him. Um, it's a crazy story. It's awesome though. Um, they would have them, they would have them put the pinch into the fire and declare Caesar as Lord. Today, you are not told to put it, take a pinch of incense and put it into the fire and declare Caesar as Lord, but in the thousand, thousands other ways, you are told to not believe what the Bible says about X, Y, and Z, but to believe what the culture says. And that is taking our pinch of incense and putting it into the fire and saying anything else is not Lord. When we look at topics that come up in our culture, come up, do we ask ourselves, well, what does the Bible say? Or do we say, I think God, that's one of my least favorite phrases ever. My God wouldn't. Well, your God probably wouldn't, but your God's not really Jesus Christ. You may call him Jesus, but if he's not the Jesus of the Bible, he's not Jesus. Just like Arius had a Jesus who was not fully God, it's not the true Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Bible after making purification for sins, sits down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He is king. And Lord of the Rings, the steward of Gondor, is confronted by the wizard Gandalf. When he, if you've not read Lord of the Rings, I bet these, these references sound so weird. But whatever, I'm going to keep going on. When he mentions to Gandalf that he will not bow to this, this ranger from the west, the true king of Gondor, 
Gandalf says, authority is not given to you to, re- to deny the return of the king, Stuart. The entirety of the problems we see in the news, in our family, and in our own lives is because like Denethor, we say, the whole rule of not of Gundor, but of my life is mine and no other. The whole rule of my life is mine and no other. I just saw on Twitter this last month a person who's supposed to be a theologian posted, said, don't believe anybody who says your life is not your own, even the, especially the Apostle Paul. Anathema. Anathema. They're, they're, they're preaching a different gospel. And this person purports, purports to be a Christian, purports to be a theologian. Well, I don't care what letters you have after your name. Jesus Christ is Lord and no other. Especially me. That's the biggest, that's the biggest idol that God wants to usurp in your life is the, the, the idol labeled, spelled M-E. Where is Christ? I just read to you the answer. He is at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Christ is everywhere because he is omnipresent, but positionally he is at the right hand of the throne of God in heaven. We see this vividly in the book of Revelation. To him who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. What is he doing there? We only have to read further in the book of Hebrews to find out he makes intercession for us. He is our great high priest. He's a high priest unlike any other. He knows what it means to be human, to live this life. Of all of our pains, all of our weakness, he knows our weakness because he lived it. He is also sinless, so his testimony carries weight. And he is God, so he has every right to judge. During the Advent time, we have four candles of Advent, the candle of, lo- the candle of love, the candle of hope, the candle of peace, the candle of joy. The candles of Advent tell a story, but that story is not just told during Advent. We are now living in the second Advent, and the story is continually being told. The story of hope, for Christ is our only hope. There is no other hope. Not a good politician. Not if this law goes through, Christ is our only hope. He is our only peace. On this earth, you have people who will cry, peace, peace, peace. And a lot of times they are the ones who are influencing war, war, war. So many things we look towards peace. In fact, the Antichrist will come as a peacemaker. Christ is our only peace. For the person we need to have peace with supremely is not even with each other or ourselves, but with God. And if we have peace with God, we can have peace with all others. He is our only hope. He is our only peace. He is our only joy. You enjoy things in this world, but your joy is found in Christ and Christ alone. And if you make anything else your joy, it will crumble under the expectation of the way you were made. For you're only, you were made to enjoy Christ forever and to have him as your only joy. And finally, love. Love. Not the petty temporary love that we see in our world today, but the agape love of God is shed abroad in our life. And every day we tell the story of love, hope, peace, and joy in our life, or we choose to keep it to ourselves. But may every day be Christmas, not a celebration, not a yuletide enjoyment, but true Christmas of Christ being more in your life and in my life and the life of everyone around us. Worship team, would you please come up? Worship team is going to be um, closing this service. 
in our last Christmas hymn of the year. That way I don't have to commit to not doing like, oh come, you know, oh come let us adore him in June if I wanted to. But Christmas time doesn't end, didn't end yesterday. We should indeed keep Christmas in our heart all year long. Christ mass, more of Christ. We should eagerly desire more of Christ every single day, every single moment, and we should look to share that great gift with all of those who are around us. I I talked about last week, I think, days are starting to blend together, about having a Christmas testimony. To have a testimony, have a reason for the faith that we have, the hope that we profess at any moment in time. Do you have that? Or this Christmas season, you need you need the Son to be birthed in your life, to accept Him as your Lord and Savior, your King. He's King anyway, and the King is the King is coming. The King is returning. Be ready. Thank you so much, worship team. Please lead us, and then I'll end us in a blessing. your hands and receive the blessing of the Lord today. 
let us go from this place proclaiming that we have seen the glory of God, believing that there is a light that shines in the darkness, which the darkness shall not overcome. And may the light of the Creator, the joy of the Spirit, and the peace of the Christ child be with you this Christmas and every day since. Lord God, I pray this blessing over this congregation, those watching at home, that every single day we would look to keep you, to keep the message in our heart, to grow in you, to grow in our fear and admonition of you, to grow in our knowledge of you, to grow in our love for you in heart, mind, soul, and spirit and body. Be blessed today in our comings and goings as we tell the story to our one another, to our children, to our families, and to all who would hear of a God who did not stay in heaven but came to this earth to live this life, to die on a cross and to be resurrected and now sits at the right hand of the majesty on high after making purification for sins. Lord, this day and every day since continually call more sons and daughters to glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you this day. Merry not Christmas. (laughs)